0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Digital Killed the Radio Star podcast. This is David. I'm here alongside Chris. Before we get started with the topic at hand, I want to tell everybody to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed. Follow us on um, uh, Instagram at Digital Killed the Radio Star and subscribe via iTunes to the podcast. That way it'll just show up on your device whenever we uh, decide to upload it. This one is a few days later than normal, but it's going to be worth it. Uh, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Man, I, I can't complain. I can't complain. We had a little bit of a break in the weather here yesterday. It wasn't quite as hot, and so... little bit. Man, it's...
1: <laughs> compared to what we've had, it's winter.
0: Right, right. You need to break out the uh, parka uh, to go to work today. Well, Chris, I was talking to one of our listeners the other day, and he told me he said... Uh, There's been numerous times where his wife has come home from work and he's had some music on and she goes, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just trying to keep up with David and Chris with uh, what they're telling me to listen to. So uh, numerous people have told me one of the favorite things about the podcast is uh, our discussion of uh, new music, uh, whether it be uh, obscure music or popular music. So before we get going with the topic, I know that you have uh, someone you wanted to mention today. So I'll go ahead and let you get that off your chest.
1: Yeah, I do. This is a a young singer songwriter out of California. Her name is Jade, J A D E, Jade Jackson. She released an album called Gilded, and um, I guess it's been out a couple of months. I think it came out in May. And Jade Jackson is a uh, Mike Ness discovery. You know, Mike Ness is of the basically he is Social Distortion, and. I was recently listening to Shiftless Podcast, which you know we've talked about a lot on here, and he interviewed Jake Jackson, and she said that that um, Nessa's wife and one of his sons were at a coffee shop, and they saw Jake Jackson, and they, they recorded some of the music. On the, his wife recorded some of it on the phone and played the videos for Mike, and he was blown away, and he ended up calling her and saying that he wanted to work with her, and she got a record deal. She got signed to Anti Records. I know that's. Um, i was trying to think who all's on Anti. I know that Tom Waits is on there. I know his last record was on it. But anyway, she uh, she just released a record. Mike Ness, Ness produced it, and uh, it's really really good. And you know, it's you you think Mike Ness, and you may think, oh, well, she's probably a punk girl. No, not really. It's uh, Mike Ness is known. I think he really has a. Um, he seems to really like these kind of modern country singer-songwriter, the female ones, because I've seen Lindy Ortega open for him, uh, Nikki Lane open for him, and now he's got Jay Jackson open for him on the road now. She's, um, I would just say, modern country, you know, kind of uh, Americana, singer-songwriter. You know, she would fit in probably the same vein as, you know, I would say, maybe a, uh, a Jason Isbell or Ron Bingham. You know, just those kind of singer songwriters. Yeah, you know, fits in with like Lindy Ortiga. She's, um, she's really good. The albums, again, it's called Gilded. Some songs to check out Aiden, Back When, um, Good Time Gone, Motorcycle. Really good. If you're looking for something new, you want to hear some country, but maybe a little bit more real country and not the uh, watered down pop crap you hear on uh, country radio, give her a chance. I think so, you'll like her.
0: So you're saying she's not Florida Georgia Line?
1: No, she is not, thank the Lord. No, she uh she uh she doesn't rap. So um so yeah. I know now in modern country you kinda have to kinda have to rap and have some beats behind you and you know, or else you're not gonna get on radio. She's not gonna make it to the radio, folks. She's too good.
0: Well, if you get a chance, go listen to her on um whatever format you like to listen to music. Again, Jade Jackson so this week, our podcast is going to be about the Rolling Stones, which usually, depending on who you talk to, are either the best or second best rock and roll band of all time. And in particular, we're going to talk about uh, a four-album run they had from 1968 to 1972. Uh, Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street. And while we were, I was researching this, I came across a topic from a guy, I mean, a quote from a guy that I know that Chris really likes. Uh, Little Steven Van Zandt, um, guitar player for uh, Bruce Springsteen, and he said he doesn't think anybody else had a four-album run like this in the history of rock and roll. And uh, if you know little Steven, you know he's a student uh, of rock and roll, and so for him to say that, uh, that that speaks volumes. I couldn't agree with him more. So we're going to go through those four albums one by one, talk about them, and at the end, like we do on a lot of our podcasts, we're going to rank um, the Four So Chris, before we get started Is there anything you want to say about The Stones Before we get into Beggar's Banquet?
1: You know, I, I don't know what can really be said That hasn't been said before You know, it's one of the great, great Rock and roll bands of all time um, I'm sure when you say it's one of the Usually one of the top two Probably probably alluding to The Beatles and The Stones And um, these guys were Yeah, The Beatles were a little bit more Of the kind of clean cut boys and these guys were the rowdy party um you know the, these these were these were like the real maybe the first real rock stars you know these were the uh, hotel destroying drug addicted you know just rock and roll stars and um yeah this was their prime prime period um i like records before this i like records after this but these are the four, and I think what Steven said is maybe right. You know, um, I think that as we get into this, you'll you'll find that Beggars I'm not as high on as as a lot of people are, but the three albums that follow, Good Guy, I mean, just brilliant, brilliant work.
0: Very, um, very prolific time for them. So we should get this out of the way. at the, At the time that Beggars Banquet was Beggars Banquet was recorded. You had Charlie Watts on drums, Bill Wyman on bass, Brian Jones and Keith Richards on guitar, and Mick Jagger uh, as the lead singer. So, "Beggars Banquet" was released in 1969, in December of 69 to be to be specific. Uh, this is the last album that would be released in Brian Jones' lifetime. Now, he was one of the original guitar players, and uh, he was either murdered or uh, died or died of a. I think a drug overdose, I think there's a documentary out there. Some people think he may have been murdered, but uh, I don't think that's um, the case. The Stones' previous album was very, very psychedelic and really um, wasn't all that popular and kind of rubbed a lot of their fans the wrong way. So Beggar's Banquet was a return to uh, more conventional uh, sounding music that they were used to putting out at the time and um the guy that produced it was a guy by the name of glenn johns now if you're a music nerd like us i've heard his name never really uh you know looked too much into him but i'm just going to read off chris to you a, a list of bands that he either produced or was the engineer for okay rolling stones led zeppelin the faces steve miller joe cocker the beatles bob dylan the who the eagles neil young the clash eric clapton Ryan Adams, Band of Horses, David Bowie, and Paul McCartney.
1: Did he work with any good musicians?
0: I don't know. He may have. He may <laughs> have looked up on a few. Um, I mean, that is a that's a murderer's row right there of uh, of musicians. So while they were recording the album, Brian Jones, his drug issues <laughs> were you know really coming to the forefront, and he would show up erratically during the sessions. And so, uh, his contributions on this are not as great as they are on previous albums. Um, I do have an interesting note here. Uh, when this album was remastered, they, they discovered there was a flaw in the original recording that slowed, um, the tempo of the music down. And if you have the remastered version overall, it's 30 seconds faster than the, uh, uh, a version, original version was put out, which that's just a little nugget that, uh, some people may find interesting. So could, well, let me let me interrupt yeah. you real
1: quick. If you, have, have you compared the two to see if you notice the difference, I
0: haven't. I, what I have, What I have is the remastered. Uh, on, so you have the original. Okay, yeah, that would be um, that would be a fun thing to do is to play that and, and maybe we'll sing. have to
1: do that sometime.
0: Yeah, kind of like the uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon and um, Wizard of the Oz. We're just going to do the two uh, Beggars Banquet albums um so chris i'll let you go ahead and give your opinions on this one first and then i'll follow up um uh, with mine
1: you know it's a good record and when i said i'm not going to be as high on it you know as a lot of people it it's always mentioned with these other albums and um and let's face it singing four albums in a row sounds a lot better than three and it's it's good it's I, i have you know, I don't have bad things to say about it. It just doesn't stand out like the next three we're going to speak of. You know, I will say it has one of the most iconic—not just Rolling Stone songs, but rock and roll songs. Period. In "Sympathy for the Devil," yeah, you know, I don't know if they've if they've done anything more iconic. You know, I, I, maybe. <laughs> I guess you got to say satisfaction, just because of the. It's known as one of the great riffs, um, one of the early early rock and roll songs. But you know, uh, some people probably throw songs like Wild Horses in there, but Sympathy for the devil. I mean, that's 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 about as good as it gets, and that is the highlight of the album for me. I um.
0: Yeah, that song, next couple, That that song you can imagine was was very controversial when it came out. Oh yeah, I mean,
1: just look at the title. I Imagine a lot of radio stations didn't want to touch.
0: Yeah, and for the people that don't know, it's basically written from the point of view of the devil, and it's basically you know him saying, I, "I've been in charge. I've been I've been behind all of the great, uh, you know, bad things that have happened in the world. I was in charge of them." So kind of a weird subject matter for you know for a band at that time, especially to uh, to delve into. Go ahead, Chris.
1: Yeah. So so the next the next couple of songs, I'm I'm really high on no expectations and dear doctor you know after that it kind of it kind of slows down a little bit for me i um even the next i would say the next big song really the only big hit on this other than sympathy for the devil would be street fighting man It's me that's an average stone song you know i'm not even that big a fan of it um but you know the end it it ends with a couple of really solid tunes I, i like factory girl a lot and Salt of the Earth is probably my next favorite effort. Or Sympathy of the Devil. Um, again, solid record. It just to me, it just when we rank these albums, it's it's kind of a little bit difficult ranking, especially two of them, but maybe even the third one. But this one to me is a clear number four. But let's just say this: this album would be most bands would kill to have this be, you know. Most there, most bands can never strive to make an album this good. Period. It just happens to be a little bit weaker for the Stones.
0: Yeah, I I, I would agree with you for the most part on it. It it of the four we're going to talk about, it definitely is the least consistent and um, a little more um, a, a little more acoustic guitar driven than some of the uh, than some of the other albums we're going to talk about uh you mentioned you weren't you know weren't the biggest fan of street fighting man i found a quote and i like to find quotes that i know my man chris craig's gonna like so uh th- this song was the inspiration was drawn from an anti-war wow- rally in london that mick jaggers attended bruce springsteen would say would comment in night 19- i'm just gonna read the quote bruce springsteen would comment 19- in after including Street Fighting Man in the encores of some of his Born in the USA tour shows, that one line, what can a poor boy do but sing in a rock and roll band, is one of the greatest rock and roll lines of all time. The song has that edge of the cliff thing when you hit it, and it's funny. It's got humor to it. So, uh, Sympathy for the Devil and Street Fighting Man were kind of a a departure in, in the sense that They were singing about more than just, you know, running to the shelter of your mother's little helper, um, dealing with some uh, bigger issues, especially Street Fighting Man, uh, given the time frame which it was written. So more or less a protest song. I also found another note here, Chris, that I thought you would like. The song Stray Cat Blues. I really love this song. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, this song is... I think it's kind of like one of the first ever sleaze rock songs of all time. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I could agree with that. I could, and, and by the way, I don't mean interrupt. I'm, I'm just when talking about sleaze rock and all. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the cover right now. Does it not look like a junkie's bathroom?
0: Hey, it's one of the great I album mean, covers.
1: I mean, it really looks like, I mean, the only thing missing from this cover is a used needle sitting on the back of the toilet. <laughs> um. So yeah, sleaze rock and roll. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: So the song Stray Cat Blues, like I said, I I really like the song. Chris, it was inspired by the song Heroin from the Velvet Underground. Did you know that? I didn't. So uh, y'all know you're a big Velvet Underground fan. Um, I'm just going to comment on what I think is my favorite song on the album, Salt of the Earth. Uh, This is a song in which Jagger and Richards both trade lead vocals. It's the first time uh, I think that, that that has happened in their career at this point and it was never really performed live. And the first time it was performed live was, uh, I think is 89 during the steel wheels tour, I think in Atlantic city. And if you, if you know anything about the stones, they're real big on having uh, great opening acts. And a lot of times they try to have opening acts that are, that are just starting to, to break really big. Now, sometimes they'll get, uh, you know, other artists to open up for them that are very well established, but, um, so this was a big pay-per-view um, concert. I remember this very vividly. They brought out Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin to play "Salt of the Earth." And if you know anything about Izzy Stradlin, this is his band. This is this is where so much of his uh, so much of the influence on him comes from. And I was I've read in one of the books about Guns N' Roses. It talks about how Izzy was just so you know at this point was very strung out on on, on hard drugs and i think he really has kicked himself over time because he was he was very terrified of playing with them and i don't think he thinks it was his best moment but i love the song like i said they hardly ever perform it and they also performed it as just jagger and richards after 9-11 there was a uh, if you remember i think it was on vh1 it was a concert for new york city and it had yeah. the who probably the best performance i've ever seen the who give anyway what Make, get, get to that one day but jagger and richards came out and played this song and uh listen to the words of it it's it's a very it's a very unique song it's a, a very good song it's my favorite uh song on the album and chris you said it was maybe your second favorite one
1: well it'd definitely be my second favorite i mean that I, I think i think just the um just how iconic sympathy is i'd have to probably put that as number one but Soft of the earth is
0: uh it's close it's a shame that it doesn't uh doesn't get played more than it does so we'll get beggar's banquet behind us and we'll move on to let it bleed this album uh by the time they were recording the bulk of this brian jones was dead mick taylor brought in i believe mick taylor was maybe 19 when he joined the stones a uh, very very well respected uh guitar player somewhat of a prodigy Brian Jones only appears on two songs, Midnight Rambler and You Got the Silver, and he only plays percussion and uh, harmonica um, on those songs. Mick Taylor actually played, um, he came in and he played on Hunk, Country Honk and uh, Live With Me. So this album does pick up a little bit where the other one left off with uh, some social commentary with the song Gimme Shelter. It was written about the Vietnam uh, War. And it's a it's a it's played pretty much every time uh, you see them, and it's kind of a highlight of the show. Of course, Lisa Fisher, uh, one of the backing vocalists, uh, really shines uh, on on that song when they play it live. And a couple interesting notes here: uh, country honk. Uh, most people may listen to that and say that sounds familiar. What's well, pretty much an acoustic version of uh, "Honky Tonk Women." with the exception of a few lines changed, For instance, I thought this was interesting. I live in Jackson, Mississippi, and Chris lives in Memphis, Tennessee. They changed the, uh, the opening line. Instead of Memphis, it's in Jackson. Um, and so they tinker with a, a few lyrics, but it's just more or less a, a country version of Honky Tonk Women. Um, interestingly enough, Honky Tonk Women was never released on an album. The first time it was on an album was on the uh, uh, Hot Rocks live, not live, uh, Greatest Hits album. So it was just released as a single, kind of like the Beatles did a lot of songs there. Uh, Didn't put songs on the albums, just released them as singles. So it does have a cover of a Robert Johnson song, Love in Vain. Um, But uh, Gimme Shelter's great, Country Honk is good, but when you get to track number five, Let It Bleed, (coughs) excuse me, this, in my opinion, is where the album just takes off and they put the pedal to the metal and don't let up. Let It Bleed, a great country uh, tinge song, um, very popular. They don't play it all that much, but then they get to Midnight Rambler, which is a song loosely based on the Boston Strangler. And if you see them live, uh, they jam this out and extend it. I've seen it, uh, while I was doing my research, I've seen it where they've extended it out 15 and 16 minutes before. And on this um, on their 50th anniversary tour, they brought Mick Taylor back to do... Uh, a couple of songs a night and do yourself a favor and go and go to youtube and put in midnight rambler with mick taylor i think it was in 2013 and you just see the genius of uh mick taylor that that he just adds so much to that song then you come to one of my favorite rolling stone songs and it's tied for my favorite uh keith richards song you got the silver And this is the first song they ever recorded in which he sang the lead vocal all the way through. And it was not played live until 1999. And it's a really fun song to watch him play live because Ronnie Wood, who I've heard Keith Richards say he thinks is one of the best slide and pedal steel guitar players uh, in the world. Uh, Ronnie takes over on this song. A lot of times Keith doesn't even play a guitar on it, just sings it. A beautiful song. It's just a great love song. Then we get to the song monkey man. That is another really good song. It's fun to hear them play live. And then we come to the icon iconic. You can't always get what you want. And this was ranked as the 100th greatest song of all time by rolling stone magazine. And in doing research uh, on it, they got a lot of inspiration from um, the song. Hey Jude. They really liked the big, the big chorus, the kind of chorus to where people could sing back to you. And, uh, it has three verses the first verse is about love the second one is about politics and the last verse is about drug use so uh one of the more iconic songs that they do um a lot of times they actually close shows with this if you've there's no way if you're listening to this podcast you've never heard this song but let it bleed one of the greatest albums of all time top to bottom one that i really love chris your thoughts
1: couldn't agree more and as we talk about these four albums Let It Bleed and the next one Sticky Fingers I mean they're definitely they're the hits records and this one I mean man it's it's so strong I mean, it's only got nine tracks on it and I, I don't there's not there's no filler on this one I feel like Beggars has a little bit of filler there's no filler on this yeah, Gimme Shelter amazing you know, country honk. You know, I'm probably in the minority, but I probably prefer to hear that than honky tonk women. I just, I love it. Even, I mean, everything from the little, the car honking at the beginning, just the acoustic song, just the feel of it. It's totally, it's the same, but it's different, and I I love that version. Let it bleed, just amazing. I, I and I agree with what you're saying about you got the silver, beautiful song, great song on there um monkey man so man that's such a damn good song uh can't always get what you want is great I, I just i love so much of them and where do i where do i start with a favorite one on this i, I don't know that i can pick one you know i i, I might I, I guess i'd probably go with give me shelter or let it bleed you know country Haunt comes in pretty pretty close um it's just I don't know. I mean, it's a shining moment for them. I, uh, I think it's one of the greatest rock records of all time.
0: And it's a great album cover. I'm, I'm ashamed. Neither one of us, uh, picked it for, uh, our album covers. episode. have to say, well, it's so
1: confusing though. Really. Right. When you look at it, you know, it's just so, it's so different people. If you, if you don't, if you do know what we're talking about, it, it's like, I don't know. It's a hodgepodge of a tire, like a bike tire, a cake, a clock. um, a, a, like a reel-to-reel tape, uh, all of it together, making blending one cake, sitting on a needle to a uh, record player. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of a confusing cover, but um, yeah, strong, strong, strong album.
0: Well, they finished uh, with uh, Let It Bleed, and they go in to record Sticky Fingers, which uh, has another very iconic album cover. Uh, released in 1971, it's the first full-length album that Mick Taylor played on all the songs. And uh, interesting uh, enough, some of the songs were recorded in Muscle Shoals, uh, Alabama. Now, um, if you're a young person, you may not understand the the significance of that. In the late 60s, early 70s, uh, the best soul and R&B music in some country and some rock music was being recorded at Muscle, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. I think it was called Fame Studios. And there was just a group of musicians there. There were some of the best session musicians of all time. Many of them are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, as session uh, members. So they go there to record several songs. Uh, and two of their biggest hits are recorded. their Brown Sugar and Wild Horses. Now, there is a documentary out that you can go watch. I forget the name of it, but they uh, should have gotten that for this. I apologize. They are recording, and they're having a hard time with the piano parts. So they called Jim Dickinson, who, uh, if you're familiar with the North Mississippi All-Stars, he's their father, kind of an acclaimed uh, record producer at the time, was just, I think, a, a piano player, musician. And they bring him down to Muscle Shoals, and he plays the piano on Wild Horses. And there's a very cool video of them um listening to wild horses played back the very first time and there's all kind of kicked back in this studio probably pretty drunk by this point and richards has on some snakeskin boots that still have the snake heads uh on the end it just looks it's a really cool visual anyway this song is so strong it's a powerhouse album in my opinion brown sugar what more can we say one of the great rock and roll songs of all time They use it to open shows, and they use it to close shows. And when you're the Stones, you can do what you want to. Um, My favorite song on the album is a song called Sway, which uh, was not debuted live until 1996. I think it's one of their best songs. The problem with some of these songs that you're going to hear us talk about, especially in these next two albums, are they don't translate very well live. And what I mean by that, when you go see the Stones, it's an event, it's a spectacle. They're not playing in, you know, three and 4,000 seat theaters. They're playing to 50,000, 60,000 people. And certain types of songs just do not carry well in a stadium. Unfortunately, Sway is one of those. I've watched several videos online of them playing that in uh, previous tours. And when they play it in those stadiums, it just loses, loses some of its punch, which uh, unfortunately, you know, you're not going to be seeing the Stones play at the uh, something like the Orpheum in Memphis. You know, if you do, it's probably going to cost $10,000 to see them. But wild horses, another iconic song recorded in Muscle Shoals, my second favorite song on the album. Uh, Can't you hear me knocking? One of the all-time great outros. Uh, Bobby Keys, uh, who is a uh, been with, was with them until he died, pretty much saxophone player. Keith Richards calls him his blood brother. Uh, they were big buddies. Got into a lot of trouble together. Can't you hear me knocking? One of the great outros. Uh, Drop down to dead flowers. I've heard it described as the happiest heroin song you ever want to hear. Uh great country song. Uh has been um covered by numerous people. There's a great version by Gilby Clark on uh Shop guitars, really cool version. And then one of their more um underappreciated ballads in my opinion, Moonlight Mile. Uh just a really a really good ballad. Uh has been covered by numerous people. Uh there's a cover version for by Alvin Youngblood Hart. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He's a great Blues player from there in Memphis. Chris, um, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. If I had to pick a top 10 or 15, this one's uh, definitely going to be in there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be as high on this as you are. I mean, that being said, I really, really like it. Um, and I think, I mean, probably what makes it, what reason why it falls a little bit not as high for me is some of the ones that are just the mega hits are, I'll give you an example, Bitch kind of like street fighting man it's a good song it doesn't hit me like it does i guess a lot of the rock fans out there you know brown sugar's a great tune and i'm gonna agree with you sway is hands down the best song on this album it's uh to me not even close uh, wild horses is i'd say wild horses and yeah i would probably go with i got the blues those are probably like the top three for me and and dead flowers, man, I agree that that's such a good song. And pretty sure we talked about when we did our favorite cover songs. We we both talked about Gilby's version of dead flowers. Um, you know, it's probably pretty rare that I would say that I, I like a cover version better, but, but uh, Gilby's falls into that category. And if you're a Stones fan, and maybe you're listening to this and you're unfamiliar. Check out the album you know, David was talking about, um, Gilby Clark, Pawn Shop Guitars. He does an amazing version of Dead Flowers, a little bit more rocking. Uh, Axl Rose sings on it. It's a killer, killer, killer version. But yeah, Can You Hear Me Knocking, another great, great tune. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it, it's another solid, solid effort by them. And you're right about the cover too. Cover and even the uh, the back artwork. You know, Andy Warhol. It's just, uh, you know, not necessarily something I want to stare at all day, but uh, pretty iconic.
0: <laughs> you know, this album is just amazing um, to me. It's you know, for a long time this was my favorite Stones album of all time. We'll save the anticipation for later. Uh, or what's going to be my favorite of the four? But one of the one of the great qualities I think the Stones have, and you tell me your thoughts on this. There's a lot of bands when I hear a, a song by them on the radio, I'm going to skip it. For instance, if I never hear Paradise City again by Guns N' Roses, I'm okay with that. You know, if I never hear More Than a Feeling by Boston, I'm okay with that. Um, their hits, they never get old to me. Like if I if I'm driving down the road and Brown Sugar comes on, I'm not going to change the channel. And I think they're one of the few bands like that at least for me. That uh, can do that, and I never get tired of hearing the hits. With that said, I love the deep tracks as much as the hits. So this is one that I just never get tired of listening to. Um, you can find you can find something for a little bit of every mood that you want on this album.
1: Yeah, and then the deep tracks—that's a—I mean, that's a good call because when we're talking about our favorite stuff on here, you know, you would expect it to be—you would expect it to be that we're talking about. You can't always get what you want sympathy sympathy for the devil you know um brown sugar wild horses all those songs but think about what we've already gone over some of the best ones salt of the earth country honk no expectations um dead flowers sway i mean these guys had they're, i guess what i'm getting at is they're solid albums they're not good albums with with great hits. I mean, the deep tracks are some of the best tunes on these albums and you know, you're, you're not going to get a better example as to when we get to the next album, which is basically, I guess you could say the whole album's deep tracks so they in one song.
0: Right. I, I, and what I meant by that is like, for instance, the Megadeth album, Rust in Peace. I really love the first two songs after that to me, in my opinion, the album kind of goes downhill, but yet it's universally recognized as, you know, one of the greatest thrash metal albums of all time. But I love that record, but, but yeah, like yeah, but I'm just saying like, for me, like all of the deep tracks don't do it for me. Whereas with a lot of stones albums, especially up until, well, really up until black and blue, which was, came out, I think in 76. I don't think they missed very much from the time they started. And, and this one just doesn't, just doesn't have a lot of filler on it. It's just—it's just a great album to listen to. Hey, I do
1: want to jump. I do want to jump in real quick though, because I think this is kind of funny. Just—just just one thing you said makes—it just makes me think about this. When you talk about you know their albums and how good they are and all, I, I, I'm probably one of the bigger Black and Blue fans out there. Um, I know that's random. This is not what we're talking about right here, but you, you just bringing that up, I, I think you're how probably most people feel. I really like that record. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's... I don't know. Maybe I just dig the Stones doing reggae.
0: But I I like that record. Now, that does have a great song on it that's underappreciated. It has Memory Motel on it, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, Sometimes I get some of those albums uh, confused. Well, this brings us to kind of the main event. Um, Exile on Main Street, released in 1972. Now, Chris, this is one of these albums... That I think a lot of people like initially because they're told they're supposed to like it. You, you know what it's I mean? Pet sounds. Yeah, it's pet sounds. It's uh, the Joshua Tree. It's things you know. Hey, you know this is one of the great out great albums. Initially, when but it was, I
1: say pets, I say pet sounds too because it's it's looked at as one of the great ones. It's one critics love all that kind of stuff. But it's not doesn't have the hits. It's not the seller that the other albums are.
0: No, it's not, and it was not initially well received by fans or or same like Pet Sounds, yeah, yeah. or the public. Um, I read a great book about the recording of this album, provided a lot of insight. Um, It it was released in 1972, and famously recorded at. And I may be pronouncing this wrong. I'm my French isn't that great. It was a villa that Richards bought in the south of France called Nellcott, and if you read up on it, basically they they had to leave England because the tax rate was so high and they just were not willing to pay those taxes. So that's where you get exile on Main Street. They're in tax exile. So they, they basically get all their friends in and uh, they're all partying in the south of France and, and Richards has this villa. And at this point, Richards is a full-blown junkie and they're having they're literally flying people in with drugs and it gets so bad at one point the police go to richards and go you've got to get some of these people out of here one of the more famous people that was that was there that was that apparently caused a lot of trouble was graham parsons who i guess i don't i guess at that point he may have been out of the birds i'm not chi-
1: not flying burrito brothers
0: yeah but he was in i mean so he had started flying burrito brothers at this point correct
1: yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I, yeah, so I guess he'd been... I, I
1: want to say he was a solo artist at this point. Okay. I, I could be wrong, though.
0: So, he was asked to leave, uh, and particularly, I don't think Jagger liked having have him around. They thought he was a bad influence on Richards. So, that's pretty bad when you're a bad influence on Keith Richards. But, um, interesting story. They had a guy show up with um, pure pharmaceutical-grade cocaine, and uh, <laughs> hopefully you don't know a lot about cocaine, uh, but... Um, the pure stuff is extremely potent and most cocaine that people do it's cut with like talcum powder and some other things. So Richards was just petrified that people were going to OD on it because if you, if you snorted it like you would, you know, street cocaine, you're, you're in trouble real quick. So they put the pharmaceutical grade cocaine in the bathroom and Richards wrote in lipstick, I believe if I remember correctly on the mirror of the bathroom, the equation to cut it so that it wouldn't kill you. So that should tell you like just how out of control things were. And a lot of these songs on here are not being recorded necessarily by members. There's other people playing on these songs that weren't in the band, particularly Charlie Watts, who I know if you follow the Stones, this is a shocker, he liked to go to bed early. And so he wouldn't hang around all hours of the night. So there's some tracks where there's people playing drums that aren't in the band. And there's several tracks where you have people playing other instruments than their primary instruments. And so they get a lot of stuff recorded at Nelcott, but um, they went to LA, I think, to mix it and decided to re-record some parts and record um, a a lot of other songs. So this is a double album. And when it came out, it has a little bit of everything on there. There's gospel, there's blues, there's country, there's boogie-woogie, and there's just rock and roll. And like Chris said, really only has one real hit on it. That would be Tumbling Dice, which I've read has been played at every show since the album came out, except for like three or four. Uh, Keith Richards refers to it's his favorite song to play in the Rolling Stones catalog. He said, he said that opening riff is just so much fun to play and it's so smooth and easy. Well, Chris, I gave us a little background um, on the album. Like we said, not initially well-received as the years have gone on most people are going to have it in a, a top 20 probably in their top 20 greatest albums of all time uh before i go into my thoughts on some of the songs interesting to hear your take on it
1: okay yeah now i'm gonna say too i understand mick jagger you know looking at graham parsons as a bad influence you know as far as um putting research on drugs and all that or you know being a bad flu influence, somebody to hang out with? Okay, sure. I get that. But I'm going to go ahead and say he was a good influence as far as, I, I think, I, I, and, and I don't know, I don't know what's going on in Keith Richards' mind. I don't know what he's thinking when he's recording all this stuff. I mean, he probably doesn't know what he's thinking either, but, but I think that the Graham Parsons hanging out with him, I think that's probably what gave it a little bit, so much of that country feel in a lot of these songs. So... I don't think you can overlook that. I don't think you can overlook the impact that Graham Parsons actually had. The album itself, um, you know, it's it, it. you're the one who always says you have a problem with double albums because there's usually so much of an opportunity for filler.
0: I don't, I don't have a problem with this one.
1: And um, now I'm going to say right now, and we'll, we'll get into this in a bit, I, I, I don't have a single bad song on this. Now, if they made it a single album and they picked the ones that I think are my favorites, then they may have made the greatest rock and roll record of all time. Um, now that, again, that doesn't mean that there's bad songs because there are not any. But I just feel like, I just feel like, this, there, I mean, there are so many strong ones, but there are a few that are, there are a few that are just, there's some that are just amazing and there's some that are good. So anyway, let me just get to Amazing. Um, it starts out amazing. First three tracks, Rocks Off, Rip This Joint, Shake Your Hips. Man, all three of those songs are absolutely killer. Rocking, bluesy type songs, as you say, kind of the boogie-woogie, like Shake Your Hips. Great, great opening three tracks. Um not to say that the, the fourth song, Casino Boogie, is bad, because it's not. It's a good tune. But it slows down a little bit. And then you go to Tumbling Dice, which is a killer, killer song. Going to Sweet Virginia. One of the best on the record. Uh, Torn and Frayed. Another fine, fine tune. Sweet Black Angel. Absolutely amazing. And I know now I'm starting to run through these songs over and over and over. It does slow down a little for me. It just hasn't happened yet. Loving Cup, again amazing one happy great richard's tune um slow down a little bit there again don't have any problem with them slow down just a little bit though but then you pick it right back up with all down the line and then you know next to last song shine a light what a song um so yeah i mean i'm I'm going through this as i'm going over these songs you know you got 18 tracks, and I probably named at least half of them as being amazing. That should tell you a little something.
0: Yeah, you left out what I think may be the best song on the album, Let It Loose.
1: Uh, doesn't surprise me. Not okay. that that, not, I'm not saying it doesn't surprise me that you picked that that one. It doesn't surprise me that you would think one of the best ones is one that I think is okay, <laughs> or good. That's the way this normally works. Like, we, we joked about this before we started, i told huddy or david i said beggar's banquet's going to be your favorite <laughs> i just and, and i was half joking but i was more serious <laughs> um just the way it goes but anyway you go ahead
0: well like you said rocks off i mean that's full-fledged rock and roll man that's awesome um going down through their tumbling dice uh, is good now i think six seven and eight we get into the graham parsons influence with sweet virginia torn in free no doubt sweet black angel to some extent sweet uh virginia uh there's numerous live versions of it um out there uh on the stripped album and then they released basically like a box set of like four or five concerts which they all pulled songs from the stripped album from it's on there really good torn and frayed i mentioned on my favorite songs episodes one of my favorite songs of all time black crows do a killer version of it uh if you playing around the internet, pull that one up and and listen to it. And then another song that I think is one of their more underrated, uh, Loving Cup. I really love the piano in that. When they played, I think it was at like Bill Clinton's 60th birthday or whatever at the Beacon Theater, they recorded it. It's called Shine a Light. Martin Scorsese um, recorded the uh, concert and they play with uh, Jack White of the White Stripes on Loving Cup. It's a really good song. I don't get tired of hearing it. Happy, I mean, that's Keith Richards at its best. Just one of his best songs. And then, uh, to me, if, if there's any two songs on here that are kind of downers, it's Ventilator Blues and I Just Want to See His Face. But then we pick back up with Let It Loose, which uh, they've never played live, interestingly enough. It was on, uh, if you remember, it's on a pivotal scene of um, The Departed, um, the um, Leonardo DiCaprio movie. And then we get to All Down the Line. All Down the Line is a f- one of the... F- One of the favorite songs of the band Uh, it gets played a lot on on every tour. It's maybe not played every show, but I think pretty much every tour that they've done since uh, this one, um, they've played that song. And then Stop Breaking Down, which is their uh, version of a Robert Johnson song. Uh, It's really good. There's some good cover versions out there. In particular, uh, Widespread Panic has one if you're interested in that one. But uh, Shine a Light, uh, gospel-sounding song. And then Soul Survivor, a great song to close the album out. Ironically enough, they've never played that one live either, which I thought is odd. But Chris, like it like we said, it has a little bit of something for almost everybody that likes American music.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it definitely I mean this was they've hinted around they had hinted around with kind of the country sound before. But I think these have the most overtly country songs probably that they had done. Um Straight up, you know, blues. And like you said, you know, when you, when you get a little, just a little bit of boogie-woogie, I, what comes to mind for me is, is Shake Your Hips. And I love that song. Um, yeah, and, and it just was straight rock and roll, Tumbling Dice. I mean, Tumbling Dice could easily be on Sticky Fingers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it, it would fit in perfectly on that record.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um just an album that has gotten better with time and a lot of people um that didn't appreciate it when it came out like it like i said i think it's one of those albums some people listen to initially because they're told they're supposed to like it uh that's kind of how i was initially Uh, i was always a sticky fingers guy and then uh, it was about 10 or 12 years ago i just really got into this album and um it's one of it's one of those albums we talk about you put on I don't skip I just let it go all the way through kind of like pink floyd's dark side of the moon and uh a few others uh I just let the whole thing play and like I said there's every possible form of american music with the exception of jazz is represented on the album and chris it has a that's another good album cover that we didn't talk about
1: yeah it's 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 definitely very iconic i mean when i think of um and I guess we're we're kind of when we talk about this. I mean, every one of them. We we if you think about it, we've talked about every single album cover of these four. Um, yeah, this one. Or I, I actually I would say Sticky Fingers may be the most iconic, but this one may be the best one
0: of these four. So, Chris, um, I've seen The Stones twice, and through a text this week, you said you've seen them once, and you weren't didn't think it was the best. weren't that impressed with it.
1: No, and and it's not that the here's why. I mean, I I can tell you why. It's first of all, I I like when I go see legends, um, and I know they don't all do this, but I like when I go see legends: McCartney, Springsteen, Billy Joel, Petty. All these guys are playing, you know, at a minimum two and a half hours, and you know McCartney deep in his seventies, and he's going. Three hours just over.
0: Yeah, I read. Springsteen, I, I read McCartney just had a concert and he played 37 songs.
1: Yeah, Springsteen is, I mean, he's in his mid 60s and he's going three and a half, somewhere, sometimes close to four. The Stones are going to give you about a buck 20. They don't play a real long time. And so it's kind of like, okay, if you're only going to give me, you know, an hour and a half set, give me your songs. I don't want to hear Otis Redding, Mr. Pitiful. I love Otis Redding. I don't want to hear it. And I felt... And and that wasn't the... I don't... That wasn't the only cover that they did. I know they did at least one other. And I just wasn't impressed with the set. When you have that many songs and you're doing these covers, you know, like I, I don't... For example, I wouldn't want to go hear... I wouldn't want to go see... Paul McCartney and him do a Sam Cook song you know that's that's not what I want to hear you know give me a deep track off of Abbey Road Um, same thing with the Stones and that's why I was disappointed I I feel like you've got one of the most impressive catalogs of any band of all time and you're only going to play about an hour and a half and you're going to give me a couple of cover songs. So that's why. I'm
0: curious. That's why I was a little I'm curious. Bit down. What tour and what venue did you see them?
1: Saw them at the FedEx Forum, and I guess this probably would have been a bigger bang.
0: Okay. I saw them in Vanderbilt on the uh, Bridges to Babylon tour. And then I saw them in Memphis at the, uh, pyramid. I guess it's when, uh, the no security tour, which was a live album. That's really, that's really good. It has, it doesn't have their hits on it. Uh, it was recorded in the bridges to Babylon tour. And so they toured with that. Um, I enjoyed both shows. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's a spectacle. Sometimes you go to these really big shows and, uh, to me, I get kind of disappointed when it's such a spectacle. Like, um, you have a lot of people that are just there to be there and i know that happens a lot with the stones but for whatever reason it doesn't bother me um when i see them and i hope to see them uh, again i was just reading the other day uh, i think it was i think it was richard's said um excuse me he thinks they're about to go in the studio and do another album so they're in their 72 73 year old range and they're still putting out music and touring Well, Chris, we come to that part of our show where we're going to rank the four albums. Um, You want to do the honors or you want me? You go ahead this time. Okay. I'm going to go number four, Beggar's Banquet. And then the next three, it's kind of 1A, 1B, 1C. I'm going to go Let It Bleed, number three. Sticky Fingers, number two. And Exile on Main Street, number one. And the reason exile on main street wins out is there's not a song on there that I want to skip. So that's what was the tiebreaker between that and um, sticky fingers.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to go with beggars banquet number four as well. Number three, I'm going sticky fingers. Now this is where it got difficult for me. I've always said, let it bleed was my favorite one. Always felt that way. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take the David Hudson approach and I'm going to try to uh, come up with a little song rankings to help myself to really decide what is the better overall record for me. And what it boiled down to for me, you you mentioned you don't skip songs on Exile. I don't think Exile or Let It Bleed has songs that you skip. But I had to go with nine songs versus 18. And I look at, you know, when you rate these songs, I let's see, I'm looking at this list again, using the same methodology used a lot of times I'm seeing three bear with me here if I'm looking at this correctly in exile I have seven songs where I gave it five star that's pretty impressive yes let it bleed I have four which is also really impressive when you only have nine tracks but seven is going to beat four and so for that alone I mean, if I look at the overall ranking of what they came out to, they're close. But overall ranking, Let It Bleed actually comes out a little bit ahead. But again, I've got to look at how much is on there of Exile. You know, per song, you know, maybe the average worked out to where maybe Let It Bleed was slightly better. But there were more five songs on Exile. And again, not a bad song. So how could I not put Exile number one? So, I tried to take a different approach. Um, I went in thinking Let It Bleed was my favorite. And it's still very, very close. But, yeah, I got to go Beggar, Sticky, Let It Bleed,
0: and then Exile. So, I think with the exception of one time when we've done this, you and I have agreed on number one and the the last place one, which I think is interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this one more than any probably is the most obvious for a, a number four or for at least the last-place ranking. I think this is the most obvious. And Number one, it would be – you know, I mean, it, I, I say it would be hard to, to argue between the other three, anybody picking another one, number one. Um, but at the same time, I, because I don't look at sticky fingers as strong as you do, I, I think number one is, is – just for me, it has to come down to let it bleed or, or Exile on Main Street. And Sticky Fingers, great record, it's a great record. But it it's for me. You said one A, one B, one C. I've got one A, one B, and then two and three.
0: Well, how many bands would kill for Sticky Fingers to be somebody's third favorite album of theirs?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, it's a, it's it's a, and that's what I'm saying. It's a really really good record, and. I probably, when I look at these, there was probably, I mean, there's, I'm not a huge fan of sister morphine. Don't hate it, but I'm not a huge fan Yeah. I'm not outside either. of that. They're not skippable songs. Sister morphine might get skipped, Right. Um, but let it bleed in exile. No, I'm I'm just going to put them on. And I'm going to let them play.
0: And I don't, we haven't really mentioned it all, all that much, but how great is Mick Taylor?
1: yeah you know he was one that you know I, and i don't know um i don't know exactly how exactly how much he played into these records as far as making them what they are but you know you kind of have to look at it as it can't be just coincidence that it was the best period
0: yeah
1: and it was his And it was his brief period
0: yeah and he you know I think he was in his mid-20s when he left. Because um,
1: I think I think that, you know, Brian Jones had, you know, great, great material. And I believe that it got elevated when this, with Mick Taylor. And then I believe that the Ronnie Wood has just held the fort. You know, he hasn't, my opinion anyway, he hasn't added,
0: but he hasn't heard anything. No, he hasn't embarrassed anything. Um. Maybe uh we can do another podcast where we talk about the rest of their seventies output since you're such a big fan of uh black and blue because um Goat's Head Soup and uh, Some Girls are two of my favorite albums of theirs and Goats Head Soup's one that doesn't get a lot of pub but it has a lot of really strong songs on it.
1: But see, I love I, I love Some Girls and that is that is thought of as one of their, you know, finer moments. It's their best
0: selling album.
1: and Goathead Soup I mean, it's got the one kind of embarrassing disco song, which is like, they're probably the biggest hit on the album, but "Goathead soup. Yes. It's it's one. I haven't, I haven't listened to as much as the others, but, um, I love, and it's not just, it's not just that I think it's funny and all, but I really, really love the song star star. <laughs> I think it's just a great, great rock tune. Um, and I do love the lyrics though, because I love what he. It, it's not that he's just trying to be profane to say it. I, I like the fact. I mean, it's it's a, it's a, it's true. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the way people are. It, it's a true song, and I just I love that he's actually calling people out on that.
0: Well, there's one song on there. If people aren't familiar with Goat's Head Soup, I would ask them to go listen to, and that's a song called Winter. I think it's one of lyrically. I think it's one of Jagger's best best performances off that album. But we'll save that. I, I think uh, I think doing a uh, the rest of the '70s would be good. We we'll, we could stop it right before "Emotional Rescue," which was just a no, I mean, yeah. huh. What did
1: you did you say? Atrocious. I'm sorry. What did you say about What did you say about uh, "Emotional Rescue"?
0: It's a train wreck to me. Not to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should I, shock nobody. Man.
1: Maybe we should do a Stones catalog instead, because you know, here's the thing. I call me. It's not that like it's the greatest record ever, but of course, you got the big hit, "She's So Cold," and then "Let Me Go," song number four on Emotional Rescue, one of my favorite Stone songs.
0: Well, there you have it. But, I think I think I think we've got another podcast in us uh, on the Stones. But
1: look, I I, I like I, I like their Satanic Majesty's request you know so i mean come on you know it has my favorite stone songs he's a
0: rainbow oh, that's a great song i'm not gonna lie
1: favorite to you. song by them by far really yes love, love love i can listen to that on repeat over and over and over
0: well that is going to wrap up um this episode this was this has been a fun one um hasn't been hard hasn't been um uh, difficult at all I would ask everybody if you could please go to iTunes and subscribe um, and that way you'll get it just uploaded on your device whenever we decide to or download it onto your device whenever we decide to upload it and uh, if you could leave us a review and rate us on there that uh, that really helps us with uh, elevating our profile of our podcast in the music category and follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed and on Instagram at Digital Killed the Radio Star Chris, hope you have a good week, and we will be back with everybody uh, probably in a week or 10 days. Have a good one.